sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. Hello, and welcome to my study. Uh, please come in and have a seat. All the books surrounding you are those used to research our show, and the individual to my right here, along with managing domestic duties, serves as our reader for any passages that will be directly quoted from these sources. Her name is Mrs. Carswell. Hello. So we're back with another dark fairy tale episode this time around, and um, we're still trying to sort out that hole in the roof I mentioned in our last show. We had to move some things in the attic when it rained. It wasn't that bad. But bad enough, and we have no idea what sort of damage there is inside the walls yet. It wasn't just directly under the hole, which I did manage to get tarped off for all the good that will do. I thought you were going to be really upset about it all, but I guess you've had the watch to focus on. The cursed watch your mother hid in the house, yes. I wish you wouldn't say that. It's not like my mother to curse people. Well, you got really quiet when I told you about Mr. Davis. It was just upsetting news. Nothing to do with the watch. I, I saw the look on your face. I'm still not convinced he took it. I don't know. Mr. Davis worked as a roofer probably 20 years. It's just a little uncanny what happened. Poor man. I, I saw him eyeing it, too. The watch. It doesn't seem right to speak ill of the dead. To call him a thief. It's all too strange. I have him out to look at the damage one day, and two days later I call to get the estimate, and his daughter-in-law picks up and says he's dead. Broke his neck the day he took the watch. Even if it's true, you should be glad it's out of the house now. If you're so certain, it's cursed. I'm actually more concerned about your mother hiding a cursed watch in my house than anything else. What does that say about her? Why would this watch be cursed, anyway? Well, you said it yourself. You said when your father died, your mother made a bonfire of his things, got rid of them because they were cursed. No, I said there was bad energy to them. It's not the same. You know, when I called, she said he hit the patio right next to an expensive grill the family had just paid off. And now they're saying they can't even use it. And the Davises need to cough up $15,000 for the damage just to rub salt in the wound. I don't want to hear about it. He didn't even land on the grill. He didn't damage it at all. I don't even know that it had any blood on it. But they insist it's unusable. It, it just doesn't... Can we start the show? Yes, we can start the show. Episode 90, Dark Fairy Tales 2, Heads in a Fountain, Bones in a Bag. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror and folklore in a historical context. 
I started the show as a way to further explore this area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. I should announce that we now have t-shirts out with a lovely design, a, a skeletal figure entering a gothic cathedral with a sickle, and in all sorts of style options, and there's a mug too. You can uh, find it all on our website, boneandsickle.com, or just uh, search Bone and Sickle on uh, Etsy, where you can directly make your purchase. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors, who receive monthly rewards, including short bonus episodes. And I'll have more on all that at the end of our show. Poor King Cole was a merry old soul, and a merry old soul was he. He he called for his pipe, and he called for his bowl, and he called for his fiddler's three. You uh, might be surprised to learn that this old nursery rhyme is connected to the Byzantine Empress Helena, mother of Constantine. Helena is known for traveling to the Holy Land and returning with splinters of Christ's cross, or what was regarded as such. And while this is her most legendary find, another tale has her traveling to India, from which she returns with relics of the Three Kings, or Magi. Their bones, most famously, are supposed to reside in Germany's Cologne Cathedral, but a British legend connects their relics with the town of Colchester in Essex, claiming not only that Helena brought three skulls, crowns, or to the municipality, but that Colchester, rather than Bithia in Asia Minor, was her birthplace. Her father in this legend is Britain's first ruler, the mythical King Cole for whom uh, Colchester is said to be named. Whether the uh, nursery rhymes King Cole represents an actual historic leader of the day will leave aside for now. Uh, what's of interest to our episode is how this 12th century legend of Helena and her golden skulls or crowns evolved into a 17th century chapbook version of the story, which is called the Three Kings of Colchester. And from that evolved into the fairy story later standardized in Victorian collections as The Three Heads of the Well. While the fairy tale is set in Colchester, it doesn't refer to King Cole or Helena by name. Um, this version we're using was uh, collected by uh, the folklorist Joseph Jacobs and published in his 1890 volume, English Fairy Tales. And uh, regarding that uh, Arne Thompson folktale classification system, which we mentioned in our last show, this one, as with all the stories in this episode, would be filed under Type 480, The Kind and unkind girls. It begins with the unnamed king widowed and left with a 15-year-old daughter. He takes as a new wife a widow also having one daughter and 
great wealth, uh, her only redeeming feature, as otherwise she's described as... Old, ugly, hook-nosed, and hump-backed. Her daughter also was a yellow dowdy, full of envy and ill-nature, and, in short, was much of the same mold as her mother. Their scheming eventually drives the king's daughter to depart, and she's sent out into the wide world with scanty provisions provided by the stepmother, only some... Brown bread and hard cheese, with a bottle of beer. A very pitiful dowry for a king's daughter. And, uh, wandering through the woods one day, she encounters... An old man sitting on a stone at the mouth of a cave, who said... Good morrow, fair maiden. Whither away so fast? Aged father, said she, I am going to seek my fortune. What hast thou in thy bag and bottle? Apologizing for the meagerness of what she can offer, she shares of it freely, and in gratitude the old man tips her off about a magic well down the road, saying, There is a thick thorny hedge before you, which will appear impassable, but take this wand in your hand, strike three times, and say, Pray, hedge, let me come through, and it will open immediately. Then, a little further, you will find a well. Sit down on the brink of it, and there will come up three golden heads which will speak pray do whatever they require these uh, golden heads remember in older stories would have been understood as three magicians heads that is the heads or skulls of the biblical magi as she draws closer to the well one of them rises from the depths seen strange song Wash me and comb me and lay me down softly and lay me on a bank to dry, that I may look pretty when somebody comes by. She does exactly this with one head after the other as they rise and repeat the song, after which the hampered heads agree to bless her. The first bestows upon her even greater beauty the second ascent that shall far exceed the sweetest flowers. And the third promises marriage to the greatest prince that reigns. These benefits uh, kick in rather quickly. She meets a king out on a hunt who falls madly in love with her and arranges a visit to her father's court for the marriage. When they arrive in a golden chariot studded with gems, the jealous queen and her club-footed daughter were ready to burst with malice. But they can't stop the wedding. Eager to duplicate the girl's success, the evil stepmother decides her daughter should uh, visit this magic well, sending her out into the woods, not with uh, stale bread and cheese, but sweetmeats, sugar, almonds, etc., in great quantities, and a large bottle of Spanish sack. That is, a sherry sack. 
And as you might expect, she encounters the same mysterious stranger who asks if she would share a morsel of what she has. No, not a bit nor a drop, unless it would choke you. The old man frowned, saying, Evil fortune, attend thee. Without benefit of the old man's advice, she's torn and nearly trapped by the thorny hedge. When she arrives at the well and one of the heads rises up asking to be combed and pampered, she banged it with her bottle saying, take this for your washing. The other two heads are likewise mistreated, so it's curses she receives. From the first, let her be struck with leprosy in her face. The second, let an additional smell be added to her breath. The third bestowed on her a husband, though but a poor country cobbler. Despite her lowly marriage, the cobbler is in possession of a magical ointment and a bottle of spirits which he uses to cure his wife's leprosy and foul odor. But her mother doesn't fare as well. When the queen understood she had married a poor cobbler, she fell into distraction and hanged herself for vexation. Our next story, Three Fairies, comes from Giambattista Pizzile's Il Pintamarone, or The Tale of Tales, as did our uh, Penta the Handless in the previous show. Published in the 1630s, this Neapolitan collection, as mentioned, provides the first written versions of a number of fairy tales, Cinderella, Rapunzel, and others. Three Fairies begins with a description of a widow named Caradonia, a woman of extremely envious and bitter nature. Her daughter, Granizia, is equally unpleasant, described as... The quintessence of hideousness. Her hair was unkempt. She had swollen eyes, a thick, round nose, teeth full of slime, a mouth like a dogfish, a chin like a wooden shoe, a neck like a magpie, and breasts like two saddlebags. Uh, there's uh, at least one more paragraph devoted to her ugliness, but you probably get the idea. Uh, Caradonia marries a wealthy and respected farmer who has an extremely beautiful and kind daughter by the name of Cecella. Uh, naturally, the stepmother spoils her own hideous daughter while burdening Cecella with uh, endless abuse and chores, including the unpleasant task of carrying trash to a dump in a nearby gorge. While out performing this duty, it happens that the large basket she held slipped from her grasp and fell down the chasm. At that moment, there appears a hideous sorcerer on uh, whose hideousness Basile lavishes a couple more paragraphs, including, in part, He had a crooked, frothing mouth, out of which protruded a pair of tusks like a wild boar's. His breast was full of bumps and covered with hair enough to stuff a mattress. And above all, he was hunchbacked, round-bellied, and had thin legs and crooked feet. Cecella maintains her cool and politely asks the sorcerer, 
My good man, couldst thou hand me up that bucket which fell out of my hands? He invites her to come retrieve it herself. Picking her way down among the rocks, she reaches the bottom of the chasm where... She found three fairies, each handsomer than the other. Their hair was threads of gold, and their faces like the moon in her fourteenth night. And uh, that description goes on too, but you get the idea. They're beautiful. Chachella was entreated kindly by them, and they kissed and caressed her, and taking her by the hand, led her to a house under the rubbish, fit for a king to dwell in. And as soon as they reached there, they sat down upon Turkish carpets with velvet cushions thereon, and, leaning their heads toward Chachella, the fairies bade her comb their hair, and while she, with great gentleness, did her work, one of the fairies asked her, Beautiful child, what dost thou find on this head of mine? And she gracefully replied, I find small knits and little lice and pearls and garnets. Alongside the supernatural pearls and garnets, what's important here is Chichella's gracious downplaying of the knits and lice as insignificantly small. And after this, she's shown around their opulent palace and led to a wardrobe full of luxurious garments and trinkets and invited to take what she will. But uh, virtuously humble, she asked for nothing but a worthless old skirt. And at those words, the fairies embraced her and kissed her, and doffing her old raiments, they arrayed her in sumptuous robes, all trimmed with gold, and tied her hair with ribbons. And they direct her to the gate of the palace, saying, Go, Chachala, may we see thee well married. Fare thy ways, and when thou art outside this gate, look up and see what there is above. The damsel, gracefully bending to them, took her leave and departed. And when she came under the gate, she lifted her head and... Golden star fell upon her forehead, which was a most beautiful thing to behold, and starred like a steed, and light and gentle, she stood before her stepmother, and related all that had happened to her. As with our tale of the heads of the well, the stepmother immediately sends her daughter, Granizia, out to claim gifts like this for herself. But when she visits the fairies and combs their hair and is asked how this goes, she rudely responds, saying she's found lice as large as beans and knits as large as spoons. The fairies were wroth at the lack of tact and courtesy of that hideous rustic. When led into the sumptuous chambers to select a gift, she grabs up everything she can hold. They make no comment, but... Before she departs, one of the fairies asks, By which gate wouldst thou like to go forth, O handsome maiden? By the golden gate or by the garden gate? And she, with a brazen face, replied, By the best that there is. 
But the fairies, seeing the presumption of this good for naught, said not a word and sent her on her way, saying, When thou comest to the sable door, lift up thy face to heaven and see what will come to thee. And she went forth amid the dung, and when she reached the stable door, she lifted up her face, and upon her forehead fell an ass's testicle, and with this fine gain, softly and quietly, she returned to Caradonia. The furious stepmother, for some reason, decides to punish Cecella, sending her away to tend pigs. This, however, backfires as while she's out tending her pigs, she encounters the hunting party of Cosimo, a king who falls in love with her on the spot. When she reports her good fortune to the stepmother, telling her the royal suitor intends to visit Caradonia, placed Chichella within a cask and covered her up, designing to throw some boiling water upon her and scald her to death. As she had forsaken the pigs, she was going to pickle her like a pig with hot water. Meanwhile, she does her best to doll up her own ugly daughter as the beautiful Cicella. Cosimo is alarmed when he arrives to see his intended, not quite as he remembered her, but the marriage contract is signed and the deed is done and the wedding night is dreadful. Cosimo, pretending to snore, withdrew himself as far as possible in the hard bed, so as not to touch Granizia, and, missing the sack and the chest, tumbled on top of the chamber pot, and the matter ended in stink and shame. Early the following morning, Cosimo heads off to Caradonia in hopes of annulling the marriage, but she's off gathering firewood in preparation for scalding her stepdaughter to death. Enter the magic house pet. There will be a few of these in our stories. Behold, a Persian cat cried time upon time. Meow, meow. Thy wife is within the cask, meow, meow. Taking up an axe, Cosimo breaks open the cask to find his true bride. He provides her a horse and instructs her to ride to the safety of his castle. Then, before the wicked stepmother can return, he packs the imposter bride, Granizia, into the barrel, warns her to keep quiet, and hides himself away. And Caradonia came home shortly after with a bundle of wood, and she lit a large fire, and putting on a cauldron of water, as soon as it began to boil, she threw it within the cask, thus scalding her own daughter, and her skin rose up like the snake when it casteth off its skin. Realizing what she's done, Caradonia ran to a well, cast herself therein, and broke her neck. Showing by this how very true is the sentence that he who spitteth to heaven on his face receiveth the spittle. Well, Yes, that's something to remember, I suppose. Our next version of this tale was published only about 60 years later in Charles Perrault's 1697 volume, Tales of Past Times, which is sometimes subtitled Tales of Mother Goose. 
Unlike Basile's collection, this French compilation was specifically intended as entertainment for children, so it's usually considered the first real fairy tale collection. I know I mentioned it in our Bluebeard show, as it contains the first version of that tale, but it's also known for other early iterations of uh, Little Red Riding Hood, and Sleeping Beauty, and others. Piero's story is simply called The Fairies. And there are no stepdaughters or mothers in this one. It's our heroine's own mother and sister who mistreat her. And one day, while she's out fetching water, a poor woman, who turns out to be a fairy, approaches her asking for a drink. The girl responds generously and in gratitude. The fairy pronounces a blessing. With every word you speak, either a flower or a precious stone will fall from your mouth. The girl had no sooner reached home than her mother began scolding her for being back so late. I am sorry, mother, said she, to have been out so long. And as she spoke, there fell from her mouth two roses, two pearls, and two large diamonds. The mother gazed at her in astonishment. As you might expect, the mother sends her more disagreeable daughter out to the same spring, hoping she'll be likewise gifted, and the fairy approaches the unkind daughter, this time in the guise of a princess, but is still treated rudely by the girl. Do you think I came here just to draw water for you? answered the arrogant and unmannerly girl. And in return, the fairy announces, As you are so disobliging, I confer this gift upon you, that with every word you speak, a snake or toad shall fall from your mouth. She returns home, and when her mother asks how she fared, Well, my mother, replied the ill-tempered girl, throwing out as she spoke two vipers and two toads. Deciding this must be the fault somehow of the blameless sister, the mother threatens to beat her, but the girl flees out into the forest, where she encounters the son of a king out hunting, and naturally they get happily ever after married. As for her sister, she made herself so hated that her own mother drove her from the house. The miserable girl, having gone about in vain trying to find someone who would take her in, crept away into the corner of a wood and there died. Sounds a bit Christmassy, right? Well, perhaps not literally a Christmas number. This German song, Frau Hola, is about winter, or how the uh, folkloric mother Hola creates snow by shaking feathers out of her feather bed. While uh, producing snow is a bit unusual, the uh, rest would be a normal bit of housekeeping in Germany, shaking and hanging uh, feather-stuffed comforters out a window to fluff and air them. Uh, this detail comes from the Grimm's fairy tale, Frau Hola, sometimes translated as Mother Hola or Mother Hulda, 
Um, it's only loosely related to the uh, Frau Peste Hola type material I've discussed in other shows. And the Grimm story is another kind sister, unkind sister story. No stepchildren or parents. In fact, there's only one parent, a mother who happens to be widowed and favors, of course, the unkind child. Uh, as in Perros the Fairies, the kind sister is sent to fetch water and ends up not in an enchanted chasm, but falls into an enchanted well. Recovering from the fall, she found herself in a beautiful meadow. The sun was shining and there were thousands of flowers. She walked along and soon came to an oven full of bread. The bread called out, Take me out or I'll burn. I've been thoroughly baked for a long time. She obliges the oven and then comes to an overburdened apple tree, demanding to be relieved of some of its uh, heavy fruit, which she picks. Finally, she came to a small house. An old woman was peering out from inside. She had very large teeth, which frightened the girl, and she wanted to run away. Though usually appearing as a uh, kindly old grandmother in more contemporary children's illustrations, this uh, detail reminds us that Frau Hola can be a frightening punisher of bad behavior also. The old woman called out to her, Don't be afraid, my dear child. Stay here with me. And if you do my housework in an orderly fashion, it will go well with you. Only you must take care to make my bed and shake it until the feathers fly. There's snow in the world. The kind sister becomes Hola's servant, which is initially preferable to slaving away for her own hateful mother. But at length, she still grows homesick. Pleased with her industrious service, Hola agrees to send her off and took her by the hand and led her to a large gate. The gate was open, and while the girl was standing under it, an immense rain of gold fell, <laughs> and all the gold stuck to her so that she was completely covered with it. With that, the gate was closed, and the girl found herself above in the world. She went home to her mother, and because she arrived all covered with gold, she was well received. And, of course, now we have the wicked mother pushing her preferred daughter to go out and get herself glazed in magic gold. But the uncharitable child refuses help to the oven and the apple tree and makes a lazy servant to Hola and is soon dismissed. Frau Hola led her, too, to the gate. She stood beneath it, but instead of gold, a large kettle full of pitch spilled over her. That is the reward for your services, said Frau Hala, and closed the gate. Then the lazy girl returned home, entirely covered with pitch, and it would not come off as long as she lived. Pitch, by the way, is related to tar. It's a black resin used for waterproofing, so... Yes, that would not be pleasant. Any living creature who touches my magic scepter will never wake up again. 
What's the matter, my sweet? Goodbye, Grandfather Frost. What's wrong, pretty one? I'm freezing. Oh, oh, my sleigh! Quickly, quickly, my ice sleigh! My sleigh flies like the wind! The clip is from an English-dubbed version of the 1964 Soviet folklore film Morozka, or Father Frost, by the preeminent Russian fairy tale director Alexander Ruhl, whom I've mentioned in our episode on Baba Yaga, who is also in the film. Father Frost, or Grandfather Frost, said Moros is an ancient pagan East Slav winter spirit, sometimes called the Russian Santa Claus. As he was promoted by the Soviets as a holiday embodiment unrelated to the church, his other name, Moroska, literally Frosty, is uh, not only the title of the 1964 film, but of a fairy tale upon which the film is loosely based, a tale of type 480, kind and unkind girls. Unlike the film or holiday images of a majestically robed, uh, grandfatherly figure, the Moroska described in the story has a more gnome-like quality. We'll be using a version of the tale translated by R. Nisbet Bain for his 1893 book, Russian Fairy Tales. This story is another one in which the kind heroine has a wicked stepmother and a spoiled, unkind stepsister. Eventually, the stepmother demands her husband solve the rivalry between the stepsisters by abandoning his own child in... The bare fields to the bitter, biting frost. The old man began to lament and weep, but for all that, he put his daughter in the sledge. He would have liked to cover her with the horse cloth, but even then he dared not do. So he took the homeless one into the bare fields, threw her on a heap of snow, crossed himself, and hastened home as fast as possible, that his eyes might not see his daughter's death. After some time spent praying and shivering, the poor girl... Here's something. All at once she heard something. Moroska was crackling in a fir tree not far off, and he leaped from fir to fir and snapped his fingers. And look, now he has come to that fir beneath which the girl was sitting. And he snapped his fingers and leaped up and down and looked at the pretty girl. Maiden, maiden, tis I, Moros, Ruby Nose. Welcome, Moros. God must have sent thee to my poor sinful soul. Art thou warm, maiden? Warm, warm, dear little father. The exchange repeats as Moroska tests how selflessly the girl bears her situation. And, once satisfied, he had compassion on the girl. He wrapped her in furs warmed her with warm coverings, and brought her a coffer, high and heavy, full of bridal garments, and gave her a robe all garnished with gold and silver. Meanwhile, back home, the wicked stepmother has begun preparing a funeral feast for the girl, 
assuming she's by now succumbed to the cold. And she's already imagining the dead girl's suitors now marrying her own unpleasant daughter. But we have another magic house pet. The little dog under the table said, Bow wow, the old man's daughter is going about in gold and silver, but the old woman's daughter no wooers will look at. As the woman's beating the dog, the father arrives, pushing to the doorway an immense chest filled with gifts from Morosko. Behind it walked the stepdaughter in gold and silver, glittering like the sun. Naturally, the wicked stepmother wants to send out her own daughter to claim treasures like this for herself, so she orders her husband to deposit her in the same place in the woods. But when Moroska arrives with the same testing queries, asking how she fares, she snarls. Be off with you, replied the old woman's daughter. Or are you blind not to see that my arms and legs are quite benumbed with cold? The impertinent response doesn't sit well with Moroska, who freezes the brat to death. <laughs> the father is sent out again in his sleigh to fetch the daughter and what the stepmother presumes will be another hall of riches. But the dog again has something to say. Bow wow! The wooers will wed the old man's daughter, but they'll bring home nothing of the old woman's daughter but a sack of bones. The dog is beaten, the sleigh returns, and rather than a sumptuously clad daughter, the stepmother embraced a cold corpse and began to howl and cry. Lesson being, if a dog can actually speak, it's probably saying something worth listening to. Now, for our final tale, I've saved the most gruesome, a Czech folktale called Rattle, 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 and Chink, Chink, Chink. It's from a 1919 collection by Parker Fillmore called Czechoslovak Fairy Tales. The setup should now be familiar. A widower with a kind daughter marries a dreadful woman with a dreadful daughter. The kind daughter is Lenka. The unkind is Dorla. The stepmother eventually succeeds in compelling her husband to expel his daughter from home. As they prepare to depart, the stepmother promises to pack hearty provisions... But instead of meal, she put in ashes. Instead of smoked meat, straw. And instead of bread, stones. A uh, nasty little trick you'll recall from earlier. The uh, father then departs with his daughter, but... He had no place to take her, and he hardly knew what to do. He led her off into the mountains where he built for her a little two-room hut. After some time, an old beggar with a long beard comes upon the girl, greeting her kindly and asking, Will you be so kind as to wash my face and give me a bite of supper? Indeed, old father, I'd gladly wash your face and give you food, but there's no water here and nothing to carry it in. As for food... My stepmother filled the sack with ashes, straw, and stones. 
The stranger assures her she can find a lovely bubbling spring and bucket just behind her hut, which turns out to be true. Returning with the water, she can hardly believe her eyes, for on the wall she saw a row of shining plates, big plates and little plates and cups, and everything else that ought to be in a kitchen. And the food in her sack has been transformed into a splendid meal. She washes the old man's face, they enjoy the meal, and stretch out to sleep on the wooden floor. Then... At midnight, there was a knocking at the door, and a voice called out. A man am I, six inches high, but a long, long beard hangs from my chin. Open the door and let me in. She rushes to open the door and... Before her stood a tiny dwarf with a long beard. He was Longbeard, who lived in the mountains of whom Lenka had often heard stories. He also confesses that... He was the old beggar to whom she showed charity, and presents her with a heavy bag of gold coins. Before he vanishes, however, he adds a few more magical touches, summoning up a fine feather bed and coverlets, and a painted chest full of clothes. Lenka lay down on the feather bed, and instantly fell asleep. Then, on the third day, her father came. Supposing by that time Lenka had either died of hunger or been devoured by wild beasts. At least he thought he would gather together her bones. Overjoyed to find his daughter not only alive but magically enriched, he loads up what treasures he can hold and returns home with her. As he neared home, the old dog that lay at the door said to the stepmother, Bow wow, mistress. Here comes the master. It's Chink Chink the money before him, and Chink Chink the money behind him. As she's busy scolding the dog, father and daughter make their appearance laden with treasures. At which point, she shifts from beating the dog to scolding her husband for not taking her Dorla out to claim riches like this. The next day, she packs extravagant provisions for her daughter's trip and sees them off. Naturally, the unkind Dorla fails where Lenka was charitable. Wash your face indeed, cried Dorla in a rage. This is what I'll do to you. And she took a stick and drove the old beggar away. When, at midnight, the dwarf Longbeard comes knocking, Dorla was very frightened and she hid in the corner. Longbeard broke open the door and he caught Dorla and he shook her out of her skin. Longbeard left her bones in a heap on the floor, and he hung her skin on the nail at the back of the door. Then he put her grinning skull in the window. Three days later, Dorla's mother gave her husband a brand new tablecloth and said, Go now and see how my Dorla is getting on. Here is a tablecloth for the golden coins. Not quite what the father finds when he arrives at the hut, but he does manage to fill up the tablecloth and return home. As he nears the cabin, the dog speaks. 
Bow wow, mistress, here comes the master, and it's rattle rattle bones before him, and rattle rattle bones behind him. Then the man stepped into the cottage, and at once his wife brought out a basket for the golden coins. But when he shook out the tablecloth, there was only the rattle rattle of bones. while since I've mentioned our beloved Wicker Man. Uh, Willow's song, which you're hearing, was sung as part of a witchy seduction scene in the 1973 film, and it happens to be related to the story with which we opened, The Three Heads of the Well. Soundtrack composer and lyricist Paul Giovanni admitted that he borrowed a line or two from George Peel's Elizabethan play, The Old Wives' Tale. Peel's production is a comic hodgepodge of songs and spells and fairy stories, including a scene in which a character comes upon a well from which one of three heads rises up singing. Peel's original lyric continues, Comb me smooth and stroke my head, and thou shalt have some cockle bread. That last term got me curious, and with a bit of research, I realized cockle bread is just the sort of bizarre historical tidbit with which I like to close these shows. So what I found was that cockle bread has a uh, sexual connotation in the scenes, suggesting that head is alluding to a sort of intimacy beyond hair combing. And this isn't surprising subtext, since you can find some versions of the uh, heads in the well story, like the Scandinavian story Bushy Bride, in which the heads demand to be kissed. The uh, English antiquarian John Aubrey, whom we heard describing fairy rings in our uh, Slime from Space episode, provided a detailed description of the wanton sport of making cockle bread and described how young women would get upon a table board and as they gather up their knees and their petticoats with their hands as high as they can and then they wobble to and fro with the buttocks as if they were kneading the dough with their arses. And there was a song, he says, that went with all of this. My dame is sick and gone to bed, and I'll go mold my cockle bread. Up with my heels and down with my head, and this is the way to mold cockle bread. The goal of all this, he explains, would be the creation of bread that served as an aphrodisiac presented to a desired partner or a husband needing encouragement. The history goes quite a bit further back to at least the year 1025, as evidenced by a passage in the uh, book Decretum, published by Burchardt of Worms in that year. Burchardt was a German author of canon law, one who provided numerous clues regarding devotions paid to Hola or uh, Perste, uh, which he described for the purpose of assigning appropriate acts of penance. 
um, not related to Perste, but considered equally witchy, he suggests his priests ask females making their confession. Have you done what some women are accustomed to do? They lie face down on the ground, uncover their buttocks, and tell someone to make bread on their naked buttocks. When they have cooked it, they give it to their husbands to eat. And somehow the ritual seems to have been preserved, uh, shorn of its erotic connotations, thankfully, in a form of children's game. In 1895, the Journal of the Folklore Society reported on a game in which children squat on their haunches and rock back and forth, singing... My granny is sick and now is dead and we'll go mold some cockle bread up with the heels and down with the head and that's the way to make cockle bread. Well, that sounds simple enough. Do let me know if you happen to try it. I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to leave a review if you do. As mentioned earlier, we have new t-shirts available, a a creepy white design on black available on men's and women's shirts, long sleeve and hoodies also, and we have a mug. Um, You can find images and info on all of this on uh, boneandsickle.com or go directly to Etsy and search for Bone and Sickle. I must uh, also plug our Patreon, as it's the only reason I can justify continuing this show. When you support us through Patreon, you're contributing towards the more than 100 hours I end up putting into each of these episodes. Pledge commitments begin at $1 and can be edited at any time. Those subscribing at the $4 level or higher receive a short extra episode, a reading from something in our library here. Other rewards include access to our Patreon blog, downloads of the show soundscapes heard under the narration, show scripts, my Krampus book, various t-shirt and mug options, the Bone and Sickle candle, and unique and hand-packed mystery kits. Our latest crop of supporters whom I'd like to thank include Ryan Fettig, Heather DeLuccio, Trevor Bowers, and uh, thanks to our friend Sean Burdick for upping his pledge, and to Jin and Sarcasm, and Jamie D2 for the very kind reviews. Bone and Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening.